0: Seth and I have got this tradition. Every year of the podcast, we've stopped what we're doing to ask one critical question. It's what this podcast is about. And the answer is always evolving and growing as our ideas change and we encounter more creators. What is world building? Welcome to the Worldcraft Club podcast for writers, dungeon masters, and anyone else who wants to create immersive settings that will draw their visitants back time and time again. I'm your host, James, and I'm joined by Seth today. So here we are again, the what is world building episode of the WorldCraft Club, the one where Seth and I drop everything for a second and put our fingers on the pulse. This episode is a bit of a useful exercise for us because, as I said, our views on this have changed over time and continue to do so. You see, Seth and I spend an inordinate amount of time talking about theory. We like to break apart ideas and put them back together again. When it comes to world building, our questions usually revolve around, how do we get better at this? So to answer that, we frequently have to circle back to, what does good world building even look like? What follows is a conversation a little like that where Seth and I are just shooting the breeze talking about something we love. You'll notice that this episode is not quite as tightly edited as others. The goal here is to let you look behind the curtain and see how we get our ideas developed over time. I think um where we started with what is world building was very much um a a position that was probably well supported by the Wikipedia definition, right? Where it was like, "Hey, here's a bunch of stuff you make, and you have it in the background, and it's there, and then like the the very presence of just all of this content will help you to make a better world, right?" Yeah. And we sort of then had a a long discussion, like basically a year long discussion, where we sort of fell in love with pulp, and um, yeah, I think I think you've always loved pulp, always. But like it was something where I I sort of started to change my perspective on it. And I think we got a lot more avant-garde about world building and uh, a lot more like we we kind of took a bit of a different position on it and it started to get more uh, We sort of
1: swung to the other end of the pendulum.
0: Yeah. And now I think we've hit more of a cultivation kind of perspective on world building, which is really neither neither one nor the other and kind of has, has the ability to sort of really include either perspective in it to some extent, you know, um, though, though I think we've uh, found different priorities for it. So over time, we kind of came to this definition of world building that says, um, world building is the suite of tools and techniques used to facilitate immersion, wonder, and participation in your visitant. And so that's kind of where- yeah. we went- yeah,
1: And I don't think that I would change that at I all. Yeah. I think that that is actually still the most accurate definition of world building that we have. However, yeah. I do think it's worth pointing out that when we say world building, actually be talking about multiple things, yeah. we might be talking about two different things. And I don't know quite how to how to identify that in our language yeah but world building is simultaneously the tools and techniques that the that the creator uses and something that the visitant experiences yeah right so there's this there's this interesting interplay between these two things and these two perspectives. I'm not sure that we have yet explored fully.
0: Yeah, and I I think it's one of those things that we're always sort of sort of breaking down and um and kind of trying to trying to analyze. Um, and, and I think that's really where a lot of the podcast kind of comes from. Is I, I think we are inclined towards helping people get better at world building, but a lot of our podcast is really devoted to analysis and uh, and critique and sort of stopping and looking at things and going okay how does this work why does this work and i think that's really what led us down the road to pulp to begin with is that we stopped and just went like okay worlds are built by this massing of detail and then we were like well how then do you explain the success of x or mm-hmm. y or like and and we and we started to just like break it down and go well none of these have very consistent worlds and we're like well how how does that work and so we kind of like yeah as it yeah. kind of swung maybe a little far in, in well the and then way. we
1: realized and then we realized that while on the surface they are not consistent, yeah. they are actually hyper consistent inside their core concept and set of boundaries yes, and so in some regard seems to be the key, yeah. but not not necessarily consistency in in the way it is planned. Well, no, consistency in the way it is planned is very important. But I think the more important consistency, which we've, which we've already identified, is in the experience of the visitant.
0: Yeah, the consistent, coherent experience of, of a visitant, right. somebody who can be there and, uh, and not sense that they're getting yanked out of the world. So like a good example of this, somebody challenged me at one point, he said, what's an example of, uh, you know, the bad world building by your definition Then. And my example is actually a Hobbit, Um, you you know, could not decide what it was trying to be. Like, was it a a, uh, a serious Lord of the Rings like Mm -hmm. prequel or was it a children's book? And like it's it's Tolkien wrote it as a children's book. So that was their core material they had to work with. So you have the um, the river chase scene where they are all in a bunch of barrels and they're rolling down the river. And at one point, Bomber falls out of the river and rolls down the side of the, down the banks, knocking over orcs as he goes. And then at one point he stops, his little feet come out the bottom of it and his hands burst out either side wielding axes and he kills a bunch of them. And then he jumps back into the river. And Thor, Thor, sorry, Thorin, has a fight with Asgog in a frozen river in which Asgog, you know, puts an axe through the river and uh, thro- through the frozen river, pierces Thor- Thorin's foot. And we are like, we're supposed to then take that seriously that these indestructible dwarves that are leaping out of rivers and like laying waste to dozens of orcs at a time and apparently just have zero fear for their lives during this entire time, just having a fun time on a water ride way through, it would have been and Thorin may not be the best example because I know that was a climactic battle and that's going to have a little bit of a different flavor to it, but there were lots of other times where you're getting these conflicts and fights that we're we're supposed to take seriously. And, um, how can we, after you've set the, set the rules this way. So that's a lack of consistency in world building because they couldn't decide what story they wanted to tell. And so we couldn't tell how mortal the characters were supposed to be, which is, you know, in part a world building artifact, And, um, that's that's like an example of you know when the consistency gets thrown off how it yanks Mm -hmm. you out of the story because you're like well can they be killed am i watching a fun
1: childlike adventure or is this a serious drama right is this an adult story yeah that's a great example
0: yeah yeah and it's I'm, i'm game for others too i well Here's here's the thing though. I, I, th- this is a tweet that you know we passed around the server a little while ago from Stephen King, um, and I, I think this may be worth a little bit of discussion here. So, world building is a phrase I really wish would be retired. Not only is it sloppy and lazy, it has become trite. Right. So, m- my response to this was I put on Twitter because uh, a-, a few tweet, not a few tweets earlier, Stephen King was complaining. That the uh that the forests in the Last of Us TV series were clearly Northwestern and not Northeastern, and so um, my, That's my, hilarious. My rebuttal was uh, what was it Stephen King complains about the lack of verisimilitude in his experience of the Last of Us. Also, Stephen King world building is a phrase, and like I I kind mm-hmm. of look at that stuff, and and I I think that they are really separate things. Like I get where Stephen King is actually coming from, and I kind of have a little bit. I have mercy for his perspective like I don't really want to pile on him because um I see it and I think he is he is an extremely mm-hmm. process driven um author and he writes mm-hmm. a lot of stuff and he actually writes in pretty big settings that he creates in Maine but no it's right. like you know there's other you know he writes bigger broader things as well and um I look at it and think like, no, he's, he's probably as far as we would understand, yeah, worldly, a really competent world builder. You know what I mean? Um, but when I, lo- when I look at it, what I kind of think is, uh, I-, I-, I think that he is getting frustrated with the um the uh, what's it, procrastination of folks mm-hmm. who do not write their books but instead say, I'm doing the world building. You know, it's like I'm writing down the elven language and like I'm, you know, I'm, I'm establishing their customs and I'm writing a really robust Wikipedia page about, you know, the yeah. dwarves in my setting and like instead of doing it. And I think because he, he's so process driven. You know,
1: I think he's also highlighting though a, a current discussion that's sort of happening under the surface among authors. Yeah. And that is what is more important world building or story. Yeah. And the reason this discussion is happening is because we've seen this massive push from huge companies who are buying these these IPs that what they're interested in is not necessarily better story. It is bigger worlds with tighter world building, where they can sell products out of the world, yeah, right? Whether it's TV shows, books, uh, action figures, whatever, like Game of Thrones merchandise. Yeah, The thing that they're trying to do is get IPs that have great worlds, but they seem to not care so much about the story set inside of them. And so there's this sort of discussion going around about what's more valuable the story that's told or the world that it's set in. Yeah. And I don't think that there's necessarily even an answer to that question because different people enjoy different things. Yeah. Some people like getting lost in a world. Some people really want the tight story. Mm. Stephen King yeah. is a competent world builder yeah. and he sort of does it naturally, but his focus is on story. His focus is on crafting good tales right? Yeah. But then on the, on the other side of that, you have the popularization of Brandon Sanderson's Cosmere, Yeah, right? And when you compare the overall world of Stephen King, because a lot of his books are set in the same world. The macroverse, right? yeah. Right. When you compare that to how people engage with Brandon Cosmere. Sanderson's Cosmere, it's very different, right? Because one of them focuses on the story and it's sort of incidental that the world is the world. He just yeah. operates under the same laws for all of his stories. And so that just sort of naturally formed. On the other hand, it's clear that Sanderson understands and has intentionally built his world, his, the Cosmere, to specification so that he can write different stories in it right mm. and so it's just a bit of a different approach and i think that this is in the zeitgeist for authors right this is yeah. a this is it's floating around as, in there it is yeah. floating around it's an idea that we're all wrestling with as we approach our own stories do i focus on my world yeah or do I focus on my story?
0: And it's interesting because this interaction also then takes place with with um, DMs and GMs. Yeah. And like, I, I think an interesting thing that has, it appears to have not arrived in DM circles yet, right? This is it. This is kind of an interesting thing. DMs are viewed as these sort of um, bookish, uh, knows the rules, has a great sense of it. And so like, the type of world builders that are attracted to DMing and GMing are the type that are like lay out all the content and then bring everybody in. And then they experience the content. Mm -hmm. Whereas I've always looked at GMing and going, this is 90% improv theater yeah, and like 10% like, and I look at it and just go, a lot of GMs would do better if they put down their books and took an improv theater class Mm -hmm. than they would ever do just hammering the books more and more. Cause most GMs, their answer to the problems they're experiencing is, I need to do more world building right. and book
1: reading. I need to have an And answer. like I get
0: that when really, really actually need to have what they need are skills um, to to bring to the table. And like it's interesting then because a lot of GMs like respond to the to respond to the Stephen King's thing as well. Like, I love world building. And it's just like, well, of course you do. It's it's right. it's like it's it's what you're betting on when you play your game. Uh, but it's not your primary skill set if yeah. if i'm honest like i think i think there's too much focus on that especially when you've got four other people at the table who are trying to help you decide what your world is as well because they also get a say mm-hmm. and you you just saying here's the completed world it's all in my brain um is just not not doable so it's like it, it's an interesting thing um well it, i don't know it is doable there are some there are some people who just have that head for it but matt mercer did not get famous i don't think necessarily for his world building he got famous for his performance at the table and the fact that all of his characters are voice actors like it's people don't look at that and go like oh that's why it's like no he built this great world it's like yeah he did also he's a really competent improv actor and like is able to get
1: like the crew together like without input from other people it's true yeah you know and that that sort of leads into one of the other things that we've discovered about world Mm. building through this whole process that your visitants built your world in a lot of ways. And as an author, my readers contribute to my world in a surprising way. Yeah. And part of that is because they vote with their dollars, what succeeds and what fails. Right. And so it's natural as an author for me to head in a direction that succeeds as opposed to continuing to go in a direction that fails. Yeah. And so when, when they, like when I read comments, um, because, or like reviews, it does impact how I write going forward. And I don't, there's sort of a You know, there's a period of time when a book first comes out that I check the reviews. Yeah. And mostly it's because I'm looking for that feedback of like, okay, what do people like and what do they not like? Because then I know how to like fix it for the next. Um, and most authors I know do this. We're told, we're told like, never read the comments. That's just, you know, that doesn't happen. But we take our feedback, whether it's from beta readers or arc readers or, the you know, nasty comments under our, our nasty reviews on Amazon, we take that feedback and we adjust our world. We adjust yeah. our stories, we yeah. make our changes for going forward. And really, GMing is just a smaller version of that cycle. Yeah, right? Because you're sitting at the table, you're getting feedback. When somebody at, a, at your table pulls out their phone, You immediately know you have a problem Yeah. when somebody at your table leans in and starts looking at the other players. You know that you've succeeded in some regard, right? And so you you have these natural um, feedback loops as a GM. But you can only really leverage them if you aren't. Dicking to your world Bible, like, perfectly, right? You yeah. can only leverage them if you have some of that flexibility, some of that improv in what you're doing.
0: Yeah, it's it, it, some of the best experiences I've had with GMs is I got to, um, I, I, I was in a game uh, where uh, Doc, Doc the Fighter of Dumpstat fame was um, leading the, uh, you know, was leading the session as the GM and uh he just basically let me play scat jazz with his lore like there were just times Mm -hmm. where occasionally I would just throw something in partly because I knew he could absorb it and so like I would do things like that and I was always ready to just you know back off like if it was something that was important or it's like you know something he'd gotten tied into his main story plot was like oh you know but that I don't think actually ever happened He would just let me make stuff up because I had a God who was a God of truth and lore and basically loosely based on stoicism. And he was a cleric, uh, my character. And so I was a lore cleric. And so sometimes I would just make stuff up Mm -hmm. uh, because he would ask me for my opinion on something and I'd say, this is what's happening. And he'd go, that's a really good idea. And then he'd like write that down. And then later on, that would factor in. And then he also laid hands on my character's background lore. And at the end of it, my, my character's God played a role in what was happening. And like from how we had developed him and like he changed some stuff. And I was like, oh, that's neat. You know what I mean? Like it was like, it was a cool, it was a cool way to shake things out. And um, that was primarily, again, those improv skills, that ability to be flexible, that humility to let go of it. And those, those are definitely common to authors as well. You know, there's a, there's a need to, to hold some of these things in an open hand to, you know, um, kill your
1: darlings. Yeah. You, know? you, you just brought up something really fascinating. The idea of humility in world building is probably something that we just assume is necessary, but haven't actually explicitly talked about. But there are very few things that will serve you better in your world building than humility. And whether you're writing, whether you're putting together a TTRPG, the, The ability to accept other people's feedback without taking offense, without bristling, without getting defensive and take better ideas than you have from other people and incorporate them into what you're doing is huge. It's vital. I mean, humility is, is incredibly useful in all walks of life. Yeah. Right. It serves you well to be humble. But specifically in world building, I think that sometimes we get stuck on ideas, thinking that they're great, thinking that they're the best. When other people can make connections that we can't necessarily make Mm. and see things that we can't necessarily see and adding their ideas and opinions and, and thoughts to our world does not actually diminish our world it doesn't make it less good it typically just fills it out better right yeah and because they're in that world making those connections often those are the pieces the little tiny pieces that actually make our worlds more coherent more consistent because in that moment When somebody gives you an idea for what's going on in your world, they are playing in it, right? That is the active participation that we talk about. This is someone who is now playing a mental game in your world and is making a connection, a a natural connection between what you've already said and what their brain thinks is going to happen.
0: So essentially, like, and and that that's ideal, and that really does finish off the participation element for me in world building, because essentially Mm -hmm. we we've established world building as a bit of a pyramid, right? At the very bottom, you have immersion, and this is mostly this is dependent on um, factual consistency, yes, but. Mostly thematic consistency. Does your story connect well together? Like that example from The Hobbit, where it's like it doesn't really connect because they can't decide if they're telling a children's story or a grown-up adult. Like we're supposed to take this seriously kind of thing. And then you kind of go from there to to wonder. Now, like we've alluded a little bit to wonder, but in in immersion, one of the things we talked about is how we complete the world. Basically, it's like a, a western town. You go into the western town, they've only got facades up, but in your mind. They are full buildings and you don't need to see behind, right? Right. You don't have to, as an author, even create more than scaffolding behind those buildings because the reader will go and establish the rest of it. So if you can take that as a bit of a metaphor going forward, wonder is almost operates in tension with that. Wonder is about deliberately leaving areas blank for your audience to kind of look at and go, hmm. So like the watcher in the water to kind of continue with all the Lord of the Rings stuff. That is where somebody will take a look at the Watcher in the water and go, where does that come from? So that's the weird squid sphincter thing that bursts out of the water uh, when they're going into Moria. And like we're never told anything about that in the books anywhere. It's just, there's no detail. It was just one of the dark things that was gnawing at the roots of the mountain when the Balrog awakened it and the power of the One Ring sort of summoned it. And like Mm -hmm. you get nothing. Was this a primordial creature from before creation? We don't know. Um, And so that leads us to wonder. And we go like, oh. Where does that come from? And the author gives us nothing, right? So wonder is what you don't tell your audience. And the last thing is participation is what you co-create with your audience, right? That's right. So this is, this is with, right? So um, and, and this is where you start working with your audience to let them help you develop the coherency in the setting. So a really good example of this. And, and it's interesting because if you have good immersion and you have a good sense of wonder, participation sort of naturally follows. Mm-hmm. Uh, my example here is Andor. We just had the andor roundtable coming soon um to a to a podcast uh near <laughs> and and that was um that was effectively we we talked about uh some elements of andor where our immersion was was sort of broken in places where we didn't like the world building and what one thing somebody said was, "Hey, how come there weren't as many aliens in this one and we were talking about how like on the prison there was a prison episode uh series of episodes set in a prison, and they were like well. Why were there only humans on that? And then uh, and then staff comes in and says, well, you know, that there were very specific security protocols of that prison. Basically, they had an electrified floor and everybody had bare feet. So they were just like what they probably were doing is, um, you know, they had specific races because you don't want to bring a race in there who like gets really strong when they get electrified suddenly or or something you know what i mean and it's kind of like so they yeah. probably did that and so what i realized is like here's the deal the showrunners may or may not have thought of that detail right they may or may not have it's schrodinger's schrodinger's plot hole or whatever right and and like but the reality is right is we like the show so dang much We're just going to go ahead and make up why. And it'll probably turn up something like that in a comic book or a novelization later where they're like, oh, this is why we did that. You'll be like, Mm -hmm. makes sense.
1: You know what I mean? Because it does. (laughs) Because. Because it does make sense. And because the showrunners will probably be on the Internet and we'll see people arguing about it and we'll be like, yeah. That's and, totally and that's totally what, what we were doing. That's
0: fine. And you know what? Like, the thing is, is like, I right. feel like the ultimate maturity as a world builder is getting to a point where you have the humility to just not care whether or not that was the case. And it's kind of like, I know that like someday, you know, I'm going to watch this like with my right. son when he's 13, be like, well, well, did they mean to do it that way? Was it just an accident? And I'm be like, the point is, we don't care. It's a good story. And like, we're enjoying it. And like, we're, we're participating right. in it. And so, like, I, I think, like, really, this is a missing piece of the puzzle for me on where participation comes in, because essentially I'd always written um, participation on uh, on the idea of people engaging with tropes and ideas. And I think that is one way to hook participation is to bring in those 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 old stories. Essentially, mm-hmm. I, I get sad because trope is often used as a bit of a pejorative, but really a trope is just an old story that we tell again and again. And we under and we know it. We know where it's going. Yeah. We know where it's coming from it's, yeah, it's not a bad. It's a thing. familiar story. Um, and then I'd kind of, you know, built it off this idea that you know it's really fanfic and all this kind of stuff is like a lot of a lot of participation and cosplay. But like this idea of actually like the audience participating in the active construction and maintenance of the setting, and this is where you sort of lose your ownership a little bit, right? And like that's. I think a little bit scary. Star Wars is going through this a lot. 40 years yeah. of Star Wars, we've so, had generations who have all encountered it at different areas and, are, and have different ideas they're contributing to it.
1: What's fascinating about participation is that it, it starts happening as soon as somebody likes your stuff enough to create yeah. their own headcanon. Yeah. And then what's even more fascinating is when enough people have constructed headcanon that they get together to hash it out and create a standardized- They start making Wikipedia pages. Headcanon. Yeah. Right. So this is just a good point. You don't have to make a Wikipedia page for you. As long as your world building that's, is that's good enough, somebody true. else will do yeah. it for you. And
0: it's 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 interesting, actually. I re- I really, really like this. This is neat. Um, and it's I I have no way to segue into this, but I do I I want to discuss it because I think it was it was, was kind of cool because like I I think that discussion on participation is 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 really solid, but um one one of the things that me and you had kind of gone back and forth a little bit on polo about a little while ago was this idea that world building is really um, unresolved conflicts. It's like a bundle of interlocking unresolved conflicts in your set, and um I think originally. You would kind of push back and be like, no, 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 that's story. You're talking about story. You know, story has conflicts. World doesn't need to have it. And then we kind of like went back mm-hmm. and forth a little bit. You kind of came around to this idea that, you know, actually that, that is that is kind of what's happening. You're sort of leaving stories unfinished, essentially, and just like dumping them in your setting. And so people then imagine where that's going. Yeah. I'd love to like hear your thoughts on that and uh, walk
1: through. Oh, man. I feel like this actually needs its own that. episode if I'm honest. Let me Yeah. Yeah, let me give a the brief rundown though. Because I think it's an idea worth thinking yeah, about and I'd love to do a full episode on this. But this this right, this idea that that life itself is a million unfinished stories and that nothing truly ever resolves. And so a great example of that, if I have an argument with my wife and that's, that argument finishes, whether it finishes positively or negatively, we are going to carry the scar, however big or small it is of that argument forward in our life. And everything we do continues to... Mm build who we are and so with world building it's fascinating because and again this is an idea that I rejected in our first in my first engagement with it but I'm I'm coming around to it and I'm thinking in these terms even like more and more and more when we set up a world what we are doing is writing a snap, we're we're creating a snapshot of a million unfinished stories. And then when we tell a story in that setting, we are simply choosing one of the stories to walk through, right? I've long thought that there are no stories that are finished because anytime you get to the end of a story, something else happens in the world. Whether your story ends with your character dying or not, it doesn't matter because life continues.
0: And that's really a lot of the core of immersion as well as this idea that the story continues out of your eyeline is like, is like when things, when you're not looking, the rest of the Mm -hmm. world is still happening.
1: Yeah. And that's why I came around. That's why I came around to it. Because instead of just saying like, here's my snapshot, it is now a static thing. I've come to discover that world building is about creating a world that yes, it's a snapshot, but it continues to move and build and live and breathe. And when somebody steps into the world, they are naturally going to continue yeah. those stories. And, in their head.
0: and that is, re- thanks for tracking with us so far. I'm going to wrap this one up with uncharacteristic alacrity and just lay out the key takeaways that you can take advantage of as a world builder. 1. There's an ongoing discussion in the creative spaces about the value of world building, and there are markets emerging where having an exciting world is a big part of the value of the property. This is where the rub is with traditional published authors like Stephen King, and something we do well to think about in our own creative endeavors. 2. Participation is about your visitants creating their own headcanon for the setting. It requires humility as a world builder to let control of your creation go, at least a little bit, in order to see it flourish in the hands of another. This is how you know you've completed your path as a world builder, and with the right mindset, can be thrilling to watch. 3. Your world is ultimately a collection of unfinished, unresolved stories. Leaving these elements open-ended is not only realistic, as life seldom resolves, but is incredibly enticing. I wonder what happened to that guy. Did those two nations ever find peace? So that about wraps it up join us on the discord to carry on this conversation our best ideas are cooked up there and we'd love to see you join the party there's a link in the show notes and if you liked what you heard here please review us and give us a five star rating on your favorite podcasting app but if you didn't love us go ahead and give us a piece of your mind at the email address provided in the link tree in the show notes this has been the Worldcraft club podcast for seth i'm james and we'll catch you next time